Hey, good morning, Restoration, man. I'm so excited to be here. Um, one of the things, before we start, uh, I just had like a moment where Pastor Dan was speaking, and one of the things he said was, you know, I'm excited, you know, all of you went out and got your Christmas shopping done, right? So I think sometimes I remember being, uh, before I was a pastor, looking up to our leaders and thinking that they were just these superhumans who were so amazing and, and had their whole lives together. And, and, and I think that's, it's an important barrier that we break down, that you know that we're fallible, we, we make mistakes, and so I just want to share a moment of vulnerability with you. I have not bought my wife a single Christmas present yet. So <laughs> tomorrow morning, I'm going to Target, and I'm stocking up on everything she could ever want. So if we can be honest with each other and I can be vulnerable that my life's not that together, I'm still trying to figure it out, even now. <laughs> but man, I'm so excited to be here today. I'm so excited to be preaching in the very end of the Advent series and, and everything that God has been doing in my heart through this series and, and everything I hope he's doing in your heart. And, and as we conclude, I just want to tell you some of the things that I've been thinking about lately and some of the things that have really been on my mind. And so I've been thinking a lot lately about joy. And so there's this idea that kind of gets thrown around this time of year that, uh, you know, just joy should be present all the time, consistently, you know, this is the season of joy, we sing one of the most popular Christmas songs, is joy to the world, there's all these moments throughout, uh, throughout this holiday season where joy is really a central focus of, of what we're doing, and so I started to think about that a lot, and so one of the things that I did was I went in the dictionary and I said, what, what's the actual definition of joy? Because it's kind of one of those words that you hear a lot, but sometimes you don't know exactly what it looks like or you don't know exactly how you're supposed to feel it. And so the dictionary definition of joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying, keen pleasure or elation. And I think that's a pretty good definition, but, but I think there's a deeper definition of what joy actually is. And so as we go through the sermon today and, and what we're talking about, man, we're going to be focusing on joy. So, so I want us to have our terms straight so that we understand what it is we're actually talking about. See, biblically, joy is, is something we're told that we should pursue. Like Paul, in one of his letters to the church, he kind of gives people, man, how do you tell if, um, if your life has really been changed? And he gives them the fruit of the Spirit, these things that when God has changed your life, these things will be evident in your life. And one of the words he uses is joy. He talks about, man, if, you, if God's changed your life in some way, joy should be a part of it. And because of that, I think we have to get deeper than almost that surface level just, oh, it just means you're happy. It just means you're, you're happy all the time because, because it's deeper than that. There, there's more to it than that. And so joy, I think the definition I want to work with and I want us to look through is joy isn't like happiness, which is based upon happenings or whether things are going well for you or not. No, joy remains even amidst the suffering. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an emotion that's acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. And so it's with that definition that we're going to dive in, and, and we're going to sum it up in one sentence here today. So if you're taking notes, this is what I would encourage you to write down. Joy is not defined by your circumstances, but by your response. Joy is not defined by your circumstances, but your response. 
And so luckily we have a story that we can look at that really helps us understand, man, how do you have joy in the midst of a chaotic situation where it feels like the world is turning against you? So we're going to read today from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And so this is going to be the story of, of Jesus' birth a little bit, but, but we're going to look at it from the perspective of Joseph, Jesus' um, stepfather. So let's jump in and read this story, and then, man, I'm going to load you up with a whole bunch of history because uh, you have to understand the culture in order to realize what's happening in these passages. So I'm going to give you like a history lesson, but I promise you, if you hold on, if you make it to the end, man, God's going to change your life when you learn a little bit more about what's going on here. So hold on through history, and man, we'll get to where it is your life will be changed through this. So let's, let's read this together. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place... While she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. This is the first point. So look at what's happening here. So the first thing I want to point out in one of the verses is it says, Joseph was a righteous man. So we have this moment where his joy as he enters into this experience is it's not about his circumstance, it's about his response. He, he has good character. So, so in a way, his joy is not about his circumstances, it's about his character. He continues to have joy throughout this situation despite how crazy it gets. So one of the things we have to understand is how big of a deal this was in his day and age. Joseph, to find out that his wife had probably not been faithful to him, uh, or his fiance had not been faithful to him, man, this was something punishable by death. Mary could have been stoned to death for not being faithful to Joseph. And so in this moment, we see, we see Joseph, he first um, embodies this moment of joy when, when he decides not to publicly shame Mary. Because to publicly shame her would have condemned her to death. Instead, he says, you know what, I'm going to do this quietly. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to seek after revenge. I'm not going to seek after something. Um, I'm not going to seek after, oh man, you did me wrong. I deserve, I deserve something better. He, in this moment, he, he's saying, you know what, despite all of this, I'm just going to make this quiet. I'm going to end this. I'm going to walk away. And he continues to hold on to the fact that, man, maybe there, there's got to be something for me, man. There's something better for her than, than death. There's something better for me if we just end this and step our way. But then we get into something even crazier. This angel promises him in a dream that he can trust Mary. And this is where I first want to point out what joy is and how we can pursue it. Man, joy is an opportunity, not an obligation. 
Joy is an opportunity, not an obligation. Let's think about that. Joseph was under no obligation to stay with Mary. He had no obligation to remain, to remain, to continue their marriage forward. He could have walked away and no one could have stopped him. He had every right to step away from their future marriage. And if he did, he would have missed out on the greatest joy he ever would have experienced in his life, being the father to the savior of the world. Like, imagine if in that moment he, he's like, you know, I'm not going to trust this dream. I'm not going to follow it. I, I, I have every right, you know, I have every right to walk away, to not, to not continue this marriage, to let Mary go off on her own. She can be a single mother and raise this child by herself. I don't have any obligation to pursue the joy that God has for me. I'm under no obligation whatsoever. I remember when I was about 15 years old, um, my parents and, and my family, we, I came from a big family. There were, I, have, I have five siblings, so we always had to get a vehicle that could fit all of us in it. And so my family drove Suburbans for my whole entire life. And so I remember, you know, the first time we got a Suburban, and every year, every time we've replaced the vehicle, man, we've always had a Suburban. It's been a consistent thing in our family. And one time, um, we were getting a new Suburban, and so one of our older Suburbans was just kind of, it wasn't dead yet. It was still a great vehicle. It still had a lot of miles on it. Um, So my parents just kind of parked it in the garage. And they must have parked it in the garage for maybe a year or something like that. And, and at one point, we were sitting around, and I think I was 15, I was coming up on my 16th birthday, so I was going to be getting my driver's license, and we started talking about vehicles, and I finally asked my parents, like, why is the Suburban just sitting in the garage for a year? Why haven't we sold it? Why haven't we gotten rid of it? Why haven't we let it go? And my mom said, oh, it's there because you're going to drive it. It's going to be your vehicle. And I remember being in all my teenage angst and anger, being insulted that they would dare give me a hand-me-down Suburban that had been parked in a garage for a year. And I remember sitting there, and I just looked at my mom and said, I am never driving that. And, like, I, and like, I, I, like, I can't, like, even now, I still think to myself, what was I thinking? Like, that was a perfectly good vehicle sitting in that car. But I, like, I am never driving that vehicle. And sure enough, two weeks later, that vehicle was sold, And when my 16th birthday came up, you better believe I did not have a car. (laughs) See, here's the reality. I was under no obligation to enter into the joy of having a vehicle. Like, I sat there, and and I think now, like, how amazing would it have been to have been 16, to have my own car, one, like, that all my friends could fit in, like, we could fit eight people in there. Like, I just think back to that, like, How amazing would it have been to enter into that joy? But I was under no obligation to enter into it. I miss out on an opportunity because I viewed it as an insult. Man, Joseph has that same moment here. In this moment, think about it. Like, he has to either admit that his wife, like, publicly, it looks like he's either admitting that his wife cheated on him or that they had not um, been faithful to their marriage vows yet. That they had, that they had, before they were married, had decided they couldn't control themselves. That they they'd create, done this great sin in their society that, that they were not doing this. Joseph, in that moment, he, he was under no obligation to bring that on himself. But he looked at it and he saw, man, there is an opportunity here for me to pursue. 
I have an opportunity to have my life changed. Man, I have an opportunity to walk in what it is God has for me. I have an opportunity for my life to be changed. And so for you and for us sitting here today, man, we ha- I have to ask you this question, man. What things are you viewing as obligations that are actually opportunities? Man, where is it God is calling you to walk into? What is it that he's calling you to change in your life, to take a step forward in? Because, man, he has joy for you. He has um, plans for you. He has something incredible for you. And we are looking at it as an obligation. Like, oh, man, if I, if I start volunteering at church, that means I have to wake up early. Oh, man, if I, if I, start, um, if I start being nice to my spouse, that means that um, I have to let go of all the old hurts I have. Oh, man, like all these different opportunities that God has for us, and we're looking at it as obligations. He's trying to bless us, to gift us, to give us something to pursue, and we're instead saying, I don't want the, I don't want the responsibility that comes with that. I don't want the, the burden that that is. I don't want what it is, but, but God is saying, look, joy comes out of the opportunities that I'm giving you. Don't look at them as obligations. Don't, don't come to church because you feel like you have to. Come to church because you get to. Worship me not because you have to. Worship me because you get to. That's where we begin to find joy, and that's where we find consistency is in the moments where we're not pursuing obligations. We're pursuing opportunities. Pursuing opportunities. One of the next things that, um, that I love as we, as we read this, uh, one of the verses, it says, uh, as he considered this, the angel appeared. And then we get to this powerful, powerful moment one of the most famous scriptures of all time. It says, this occurred to fulfill the message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is such a powerful moment because if we remember, as we look through our definition of what joy is, we remember joy is an emotion that is acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. Something great or wonderful. And in this moment, Joseph begins to receive the greatest joy of all. The understanding that, man, God was going to come and be a part of the world, was going to stand and and live with him and and be raised by him and spend time with him and eventually forgive him. And so I was racking my brain because I was trying to think of, like, what's a story that I can share that that really encapsulates what this moment is? How important it is that Joseph in this moment received this understanding that, man, God is going to be with us and he's going to be with us in the form of, of my future step son like i tried to think of a story and as i was sitting there and i'm praying like god what 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 is it that that encapsulate that i began to realize man there's no story that can encapsulate what's happening in this moment there's no analogy there's no life experience that i've had that that can encapsulate how important this moment is like we have to think about this 2000 years later man our society of over 300, in this country, over 300 million people are going to grind to a halt for a day, for an entire month. We're uh, relentlessly pursued by Christmas music, all because of this moment in history that 2,000 years ago, man, something happened in a small town uh, thousands of miles away that changed the way human history would be perceived forever. 
That in this moment, man, this is the story that through it, man, it stopped World War I for a day as people began to think, man, man, there's a God who came and spent time with us, man. It's going to stop us from going to work. It's going to stop us from, you know, getting out of our houses. It's going to take a moment where we're spending a moment just considering, man, there was a God who loved us so much that he came and he dwelt with us. How insane is that? How mind-boggling is that? That for an entire season, for an entire month, man, our entire culture slows down because we need to remember that for a moment God came to be with us. That for 33 years he spent time among us. He changed the way human history, man, man, and when we remember that, man, that's when we can fasten on to that, that important phrase where it says when we have acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something good or wonderful. Man, the expectation we have is that God came, he became one of us. He spent time coming to know us, to be with us, to be around us. Man, that's the greatest joy that we can put our hope in. And so when we are struggling with that fact, man, how do I keep joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of um, loss and confusion? That's the joy we put our hope in because that is an unshakable truth. That is something that will never change. That no matter what happens in your life, no matter where you go, no matter what's happening around you, Man, God is with us. God is with us. And we can remember that. We can hold on to that. We can be excited about that. And that helps us keep our joy. And then something else interesting happens, and I think this is where um, it really, really, this is, this is where it's going to hit home for a lot of us. Because one of the things that we think a lot about joy is, is man, I would be joyful if, X, Y, or Z. I'd be joyful if I had more money. I'd be joyful if my um, kids were doing better in school. I'd be joyful if my job was even greater. I'd be joyful if, and we, we add all these ifs to what would, what would bring us a joy, what would make us a joyful. But here's the reality. Joy and, and, and pursuing that always requires risk and sacrifice. So Joseph, when he's sitting there, uh, this is so important when we get to this final part of the verse and this final part of the story. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. See, this is the most important moment because in historical context, in, in ancient Israel, in, 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 in their culture, the moment Joseph gave Jesus his name, he was staking a claim. He was saying, this is my son. In that moment, he was putting all of his eggs in one basket. Man, this could have cost him everything. This could have destroyed his entire life. It could have ripped him apart. Man, it could have cost him his job. It could have cost him his family. It could have cost him his future. In this moment, Joseph is beginning to say, you know what? I'm going to stake my claim on what it is God has told me to do. There's no backup plan. There's no way he can just kind of slip out of this at this point. The moment that he gives Jesus his name, there's no going back. 
Like, and I can only imagine, imagine being there and, and thinking through, like, Mary didn't have her baby the next day. Like, it was months. It was months and months and months of Joseph sitting there wondering if he was going to make the right decision. Have I made the right call? Have I, have I done the right thing? Like, the, the confidence it takes to believe God through a dream, man, blows my mind to this day. And that's why I'm convinced that that's one of the reasons they call him a righteous man. Like, to put enough faith in God to say, you know what? All I have to go on is a dream. But man, that dream has to mean something. Man, that is insane to me. And so Joseph is there, and he's beginning to say, you know what? I'm going to put all my eggs in one back. I'm going to stake my claim. This is my son now. It could cost me my job. It could cost me my life. It could cost me everything I've ever known. But man, God has called me to do something. And this is what I want you to take away from today. This is, this is I think, the most important thing. Joy, pursuing joy, creates more problems than it solves. Pursuing joy creates more problems than it solves. There were going to be questions in Joseph's life that he didn't have answers to. There were going to be things he had to go through that he didn't know how to deal with. He could lose his job. He could lose everything. And here's the reality. Man, as you pursue joy, as you find joy in your life, things might not get better, but you will get stronger. And so as we think about this, as we think about, man, what does it mean to be joyful? What does it mean to pursue joy in my life? What does it mean to find joy today? I want you to think about that, man. As God calls you to pursue something, as he pushes you into an opportunity, not an obligation, as he begins to gift you with joy, your problems might not get easier. They might not go away. They might even get worse. But the difference is the confidence that you have, the hope that you have, the desires that you have will push you into God's will for your life in a way you never could have imagined. Man, all I think about sometimes is, man, like when I pursue God, sometimes my life gets insane around me. Just this last week, Jeremy Arsenal and I, we, we Thursday night left the church at 2 a.m. getting ready for the Christmas service. We pulled an 18-hour day, and, and all I could think in my head was, man, I am so excited that I get to do this for God. Most people, like, it's easy, it would be easy to complain, be easy to lose joy, like, oh man, I had to stay at the church late. I had to, you know, when you're pursuing something crazy, like, you might have to say, man, I have to put in all this work. When, when you're starting a new marriage, you might say, man, I have to figure out how to deal not only with my problems, but with the problems of someone else. And then when a kid comes along, man, they're nothing but problems. How, how, do, we, how do we deal with this insanity? The reality is, man, when you pursue joy, your life doesn't necessarily get easier, but I can promise you it will get better. Because you have a hope. You have a joy. You have something that no one can ever take away from you. Because when you pursue the joy that God has for you and for your life, there is nothing like it. 
Man, you'll go to bed exhausted, but content. Man, you'll have relationships that can feel tiring, but man, exciting. And so as we pursue joy and begin to figure out, man, how do I do this? How do I pursue this? How do I take this next step? Let me just reassure you. Man, when you pursue God, when you pursue joy, it's risky, it has sacrifice, it has loss, but the reality is, the moment you step into what it is he has for you, there is nothing greater than you can imagine. So today, my prayer for you is that you find joy. Not the fleeting joy that lasts as long as there's Christmas lights or a Christmas tree in your house, but instead, you find joy that lasts forever. That the anticipation, the hope, the wonderful thing that you pursue is a God who loves you, a God who is with us, and a God who has a story that will change your life forever. If you'll bow your heads with me, we're going to pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for um, everything that you do. We thank you that you change our lives. That as we pursue you and, and find joy, maybe for the first time, we realize it's not that just about being happy. It's not just about getting what we want. But instead, it's about following you. And entering into what it is you have for us. And when we pursue that joy, there's not a person, there's not a thing, there's not a circumstance, there's not a situation that can steal our joy away. God, give us the strength to have joy not based on our circumstance, but instead based on our response and on our character. God, we praise you, we thank you, we celebrate you. In your name we say, amen.